Welcome to Founders First, a show about mental health and entrepreneurship and how to build resilience to stay stronger, happier, and be more successful. You can engage more in the conversation by going to the App Store on your phone and searching Founders First Community. Our guest today has a personal and clearly demonstrated passion for eliminating the stigma behind mental health and helping people discover their unmet potential. His story starts in a catatonic state on the floor of his dorm room, experiencing a full psychotic episode. Three decades later, he's learned to manage his mental health and has used his experience to help others as an educator, mental health advocate, speaker, and a coach. He's led over 200 trainings on mental health and authored two books titled Working on Wellness, A Practical Guide to Mental Health, and Leadership Through the Lens of the 12 Steps. His most recent presentation, African-American Men in Mental Health, Crisis or Opportunity, is set to be featured at TEDx Buffalo in 2021. Our guest today is Carl Shallowhorn. So Carl, you've had a pretty amazing journey. You've spent many years as a clinician and with mental health organizations, and you're very open about some of the struggles that have informed your ability to talk about these subjects from experience. I think some members, I think some background on your own mental health experience will really resonate with some of our members. So if you could tell us, just tell us a little bit about your own mental health journey. Sure. Uh, well, basically, Aaron, my, my journey began when I was a college freshman in Flint, Michigan in uh, 1981. I was a freshman uh, at General Motors Institute. Uh, it's now called Kettering University Engineering School. And I, like some other people, went to college uh, for the wrong reason, or at least went to the college that I didn't want to go to in the first place, but I went to it because I think my parents wanted me to go there. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, so I, I found myself in the midst of an environment where there was an extremely rigorous academic curriculum. I was away from home for the first time. I'm also adopted and, and only child. I was began using drugs and alcohol, and all that kind of came through to be a perfect storm where I had a, a major psychotic episode uh, where I was catatonic in my dormitory room, and, and that was in February of 1981. And from there, I was brought back home to Buffalo, and I spent basically the next seven or so years going in and out of hospitals, uh, you know, all kinds of medical treatments, you can imagine, all kinds of medications, uh, even even honestly, electroconvulsive therapy. It was, it was really rough for a number of years. Despite that, I still graduated from college. And, and I attribute that a lot to, to my mother, who uh, was actually a rehabilitation counselor herself, but was really old school. I mean, she never let up. So I graduated from college. I got a job at a local recording studio because my dream was to work in radio. I was a broadcasting major undergrad. And, uh, but then again, I eventually got into a plus up recovery and I discovered that in 1988 and I got clean and clean ever since. And shortly thereafter, I decided to become a counselor. And I said, because I want to help people. That was my, my goal was just to help people like I've been helped. So I got into the field of addiction counseling at the same time, my wife. Uh, and so we got married, uh, in about a year or so roughly before, uh, our first child was born. Uh, I had another psychotic episode, I had another manic episode. And I had to take three months off of work, and, and that was extremely difficult. But I managed to get myself back on my feet. And uh, from there, I, I worked. I eventually changed uh, professions. I went to higher education for 12 years after I got my master's degree in student personal administration. And uh, for there, I, I really began to kind of find a life that was more stable. Uh, and, and I really began to get into other passions. I got into running. 
really got actively into running and exercise, which helped a lot with my mental and emotional state as well as my physical uh, you know, uh, health. But then right around 2008, I began to get this feeling of, of why, well, first I wanted to share my story of recovery, mm-hmm. but also why we don't hear more positive stories about people with mental health conditions in the media. That was all around the time when Britney Spears was, was all over the news, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote an article that was in the Buffalo News, Buffalo, our local paper here, and, and I kind of outed myself. And I was working at a very small private college where nobody knew about my, my condition, and, and it was a huge risk. As a result of that, I, I began to uh, do some work for a small, uh, actually relatively large size um, behavioral health provider. But I did a group, uh, I call it Work on Wellness. That's where I got the idea for the book from. And I did a per diem, one hour a week group with them. I began to do some speaking with the National Alliance of Mental Illness and, and other groups. And, and I just really began to become empowered. I share my story to others. Eventually, I had a conversation with the VP at the college where she said to me, Carl, if this isn't your passion, you need to find out what it is. The true story behind that is also she was writing me up. And I, I, a lot, long time it took me for to admit that in public, but she brought me in one day uh, saying that, you know, questioning my work performance, I think. But the bottom line is I think she was concerned about me being a liability considering my mental health issue. Even though I'd never had any problems, my, my work performance was fine. I was you know, I was producing the numbers and doing other things. I traveled to China twice mm-hmm. for, for them. So on all accounts, things were well, but I think she found me to be a liability. Mm-hmm. Well, I walked out of that office after signing that document. I called the organization Horizon Health Services. And with two weeks, I was working there. I, I, luckily, like I said, I had, a, I had a credential for addiction counseling mm-hmm. uh, previously that I reengaged with. And that's really where it took off with me working in the behavioral health field. I began to work in advocacy after that uh, job and then got into more things just like I've been doing recently, like mental health first aid instructing, I, you know, overseeing a federal grant for mental first aid uh, currently, mm-hmm. and, and also just uh, doing some other projects, getting into, like you, you mentioned, the leadership development coaching. I'm also doing life coaching, mm-hmm. uh, doing life coaching with the uh, emphasis on mental health. So all my work is kind of like led up to where I'm at today at this moment. And mm-hmm. I find it be very excited, uh, excited. Even though we're in really tough times, I feel that the future is bright, not just for me, but for a lot of people. Uh, if you really look at from having the proper mindset, I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. Yeah. And that, that bravery to come out with this thing that you're hiding about, well, not hiding, but this thing that we don't like many of these things we don't share with the public, right? About ourselves and, and these challenges, many of them being mental health challenges for us. So for everybody listening, you know, think about the bravery it takes to whatever is maybe your deepest, darkest, darkest secret, going public with that. And, and at the time you were, you know, working for an organization, right? And um, going public with that inside of an organization, I think that's this incredible bravery to be able to come out and, and share a challenge like that with the world. I, we'll come back to kind of how that being able to talk about it, it changed, you know, may have changed your life going forward. Um, one of the things that I, I love the fact that you've got this amazing experience that you can speak from now, right? So both for all the great work you've done in mental health, but as a new entrepreneur, actually yourself this year, you started your business in April. Uh, again, what an incredible time, <laughs> what an incredibly weird, strange <laughs> time to start a business. I'm sure there's folks on this call as well that started companies this year. Um, of course, starting a business in the time of COVID is a massive challenge, but your own life journey has brought you to a level of self-awareness that most first-time founders just don't have. So we all have different struggles. Sometimes the things we can learn from them are surprisingly similar. So my question for you is, um, what have your challenges taught you about yourself, about 
how you need to manage yourself, your time. You mentioned a couple of things there, kind of exercise and, and some reliable schedules. So what about your time, your environment? Um, what advice do you provide to those that you teach who are having these similar struggles? Well, the first question you asked, what have I learned about myself? I learned that I'm incredibly resilient. And, and everyone has this capacity to be resilient. Sometimes you have to build resilience through using your tools and using what's available to you. Resilience can also come from adversity. So obviously you heard a little bit of my story. There's obviously a lot more to it than that. But I've been through so much in my life that now, not to say that things just roll off me. I, I experience stress like everyone else, but mm-hmm. I've learned to develop the capacity to handle these things and, and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one way that I've, been able to do this is I have a great support system. I know I think uh, my wife, of course, first and foremost, is my is my main partner in crimes. They say she she's the one who keeps me accountable. Mm-hmm. She grounds me, and I also have two wonderful adult daughters who are, are great. Um, and and so the support system is important. Um, you know, just also my TOSA program uh, that I still follow is very helpful. And then as far as the way I organize my time, you know, it's interesting. Going from working as a full-time staff person, employee, to now operating on my own terms with my time, I, of course, like many entrepreneurs, I find myself working more, uh, you know, working more. I mean, it's not a nine to five. It's, it's, it's working all time today. It's, it's, you know, sometimes I'll be thinking of something at 10 o'clock at night as I'm getting ready for bed. I'll put a note in my phone, right? Um, so my mind is always thinking about work, but I also have learned to take breaks. In other words, I know that the, the mind, the body can't go 24-7. Mm-hmm. So I make sure I get sleep. Uh, example is that yesterday I was, I was beat. I was just exhausted. I think I fell asleep by nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, since I'm in business for myself, uh, I woke up this morning about 8.30 uh, and got ready for my day. I literally slept almost 12 hours. Mm-hmm. But I needed it. So, so that's another thing. I'm also in therapy. Mm-hmm. I, I saw my therapist this morning. And, and so I do that. Um, and also another one with that, so as far as my work environment, I have, I have an office here at work, uh, you know, uh, at home rather, I should say, that I work out of. I've, I've got all the tools here that I need. I'm very fortunate. I'm privileged in that respect. Not everyone has these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife works at home too. She has her office. So we've kind of commandeered our daughter's uh, spaces that they moved out of this past summer to, to kind of have these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just having space to work in has been very helpful for me to be able to separate, like you say, uh, the space that I work in, because it does make a difference. Yeah, when I'm here, I'm able to focus, I'm able to do the job at hand. And then when I'm done, I, I go to other parts of the house. I, I'm a huge music lover. I listen to music, I have vinyl records, I, uh, I do things like that. So um, a lot of it has to do with boundaries, boundaries between work and, and, and just taking time off to relax. I, I, you know, I, I have some Netflix type shows I watch. Uh, I love comedy. Uh, so I, I take the time for myself too. I think it's very important that self-care piece is critical. So those mm-hmm. are things that I try to do. Yeah. So once we've learned these lessons that you're just talking about, or once we know ourselves better, maybe we don't like what we see, right? This, this introspection sometimes leads us to places that we don't want to actually admit are there. Maybe we wish we were stronger, more resilient, or more confident. Um, one of the things you frequently talk about is the idea of perseverance. You just mentioned it, like the ch- all the challenges that you've had along the way. Um, which may be even harder once we admit we're struggling. What habits do you incorporate into your routine? Like, is there any, you talked about a bunch of tools you pull in, but is there, is there a defined structure to your day or what steps do you take on a regular basis to focus on, on just persevering? How, how do we do it as entrepreneurs? 
marriage? How do we get through it? You know, that's a good question. And, and don't, I don't know, the best way I can answer that is I think in some respects, at least for me, it, it's an inherent quality mm-hmm. that I've developed over time. Uh, you know, I, I, I've run two marathons. And, and uh, when I was 55, I did a 102-mile ride, charity ride. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, I'll, I'll have to say the average, uh, I rode at 17 miles an hour. Um, not to brag, but for a 55-year-old guy, that's not bad. <laughs> Including the fact that in the last 12 miles of experiencing major leg cramps, my, my foot was coming out of a pedal, but I was determined to finish the ride. Incredible. And, and I, there was a point where my riding partner said, you can stop. You know, the, the SAG vehicle's coming up. They could have picked my bike up, thrown me in there, and took me to the finish. I said, no, I got to finish. Hmm. So, I don't know. I think that's the kind of person I am. I don't give up. Mm-hmm. I don't give up. And I think for, for what I've learned in life, that that ability to say, I'm not going to give up, goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're in tough times right now. And I know a lot of people feel like giving up. Uh, you know, I know business ventures don't always go the way they're supposed to. Sometimes you do have to, to, to pivot and shift gears and, and go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But the way I look at it, I have to exhaust all my, my resources to determine if that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going full steam ahead. I have to believe myself. I have to believe that I can be successful. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? I, I'm also a believer that what we you know, give, we get. And, you know, it's what the energy we put out, it's the energy we, things we get back in return. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I try to, try to take that sense of positivity and, and use it to, to almost, in a sense, I can say almost visualize where I want to be, mm-hmm. whether it be through meditation or other means. And try to bring that into realization. And then, I mean, some people say that's that's you know hokey business and you know whatever. But I believe that works. Mm-hmm. That's how I you know like I, you mentioned the TEDx talk, the TED talk. Um, when I heard about the the program in Buffalo, I thought about applying. After I applied, I would meditate and I would see myself in that TED talk stage. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got the call on Father's Day when I was having dinner with my wife and daughters, it was, it was a cool moment. I just, I yelled and they knew what it was right away. So it is possible to, to persevere. It is possible to, to discover what you need to do and, and, and not to forgive up on yourself because sometimes we, we forget what we have the ability to do. I think that every person has the ability to go further than they think they can mm-hmm. and what their potential is. One of the themes you touch on often is this idea of tribe. You already mentioned relationships that are so important to you now. We all need a tribe. Um, I love this theme because it's so much of what we're doing here at Founders First and the Founders First community among entrepreneurs. You've said that as entrepreneurs, we have a tribe for our business, but we also need one for ourselves personally. So we won't be going it alone. You mentioned one member of your tribe is an old friend and, and business owner. You told me the other day who you run ideas by. Talk to us a little bit about that idea of tribe. Like, what, what is it? What does it provide and why is it important for entrepreneurs? You know, so for me, it goes back to my origins of starting in my 12-step program. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I joined in, it was actually January 17th, 1988. I remember the day like it was yesterday. And and when I walked into that room, I felt like I belonged. And I never belonged anywhere before. I mean, I was part of a drug culture. I was, you know, I was, you know, uh, you know, mentally ill, so to speak. But when I walked those doors, I realized there were people like me who weren't afraid to share their struggles and be open to be vulnerable with each other. And, and, and that meant so much to me that I fell right into it. And 
I also realized the importance of relationships in our lives. Mm-hmm. So my, my friends in the program, primarily men, because, you know, the way I come from in the program, they, a lot of times they say men with the men, women with the women. Well, I think you know why they say that. But, uh, but most of my friends in the program, my close friends are men. And, and, but the funny thing is, is, you know, in our society, men oftentimes don't let their guard down in any area, mm-hmm. whether it be with other men or, or the families or whoever. But I have friends who I can be very open with and, and be comfortable with sharing about all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Things that may, I would probably never mention to anybody else. Mm-hmm. But, but it's the fact that we, we're in it together. And it's mutual support. In other words, Tulsa programs are really mutual support programs, they're called, mm-hmm. where you get help from each other. You, you, you know, whether it be times of crisis or times of celebration. Mm-hmm. And I've been around for 32 years. And in fact, an offshoot of that is my vinyl group. I talked about me being into vinyl records. Mm-hmm. So about 26 or so years ago, uh, one of my friends, uh, Tim, who I worked with as a counselor, the first counseling job I had, uh, we discovered we had a mutual interest in music. And then I had another friend who was a housemate of mine when I went to Buffalo State in 1984. So I said to Tim uh, you know, and James and Pentley, I said, you know what, we should get together and listen to music. Because honestly, when, you, when, you, when you're in college and all that, you know, what did you do? Well, I know what I did. I sat around getting high, listening to music with my friends. I said, let's do that without getting high. <laughs> and, and so we started doing that in 1994. We still do it today. Wow. Now we're doing it now through Zoom. And in fact, when the COVID hit, we had to make that adjustment. Well, we did. I have, I've got the Zoom account. We started doing it immediately. In fact, my friend Tim had a major prostate scare. Uh, he had to have surgery. He has COVID. He got COVID about maybe a month ago. Mm. And we've been, we've, been, we've been doing some Zoom. We call each other every day. And I'll tell you something, Aaron. Uh, you know, I lost my dad uh, several years ago. I lost my mom in 1996. We need people that like this in our lives to help us when, when we're struggling. Uh, because no one gets through this thing alone. I don't care who you are, how strong you think you are. We all need help in life. And sometimes we need to ask for it. Mm. And I know for myself, you know, despite the fact that, you know, all those years of school where I didn't want to raise my hand to ask questions, I undoubtedly ask questions now because, first of all, why waste all that time trying to figure out the answer yourself if you could just ask someone? <laughs> but sometimes we just need to humble ourselves and, you know, use a little humility to say, hey, help brother out here, right? I need, I need your help with this. Mm-hmm. And that's you get your answers. So, so I've learned the whole tribe concept is, is something that, has kept me going. And like I said, I really, really believe in, and, and, you know, so I know for a lot of reasons that having people in my life, uh, as supports has been invaluable. And my friend, like you said, my friend, my business friend, uh, is also in the Tulsa program like myself. Mm-hmm. And when I just started this venture, I asked him to be my, my, said, quote, unquote, my business sponsor. <laughs> um, you know, he's a successful businessman. Uh, you know, he's a million dollar business, uh, you know, contractor. And in fact, he teaches me a lot. He helps me keep things in perspective. I begin to freak out and think, oh, this isn't going to work. He, 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 he grounds me. Mm-hmm. So he guides me. And we always need that. We could use that too. He's like a mentor, basically. I call it business sponsor. He's like a mentor. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I just know uh, that's another thing about having a tribe is sometimes you have certain people in that tribe specifically to help you in certain areas of your life. Yeah. I love that the concept of a business sponsor. And it makes me think about like everyone on this call, each of us as as founders, as entrepreneurs, is there is there someone that we've appointed to 
be and have, have they agreed to be appointed as the person who's in charge of looking out for us to make sure that we're okay, right? We often surround ourselves with these business advisors or investors or you know, people that are smart in our industry or people that are connected or people that are well-networked and, and all those other things we look for, those technical business skills. Um, but is there somebody that's looking out for us personally that can say, and we hear this in our sessions with the Thinkability group all the time where um, you know, often it's spouses where their spouse will kind of check somebody and say, you have been so irritable for the last five days in a row. Like, what's going on? What can we do to help? What do you need? Um, how can we get you to a better place? And I think so many times it's hard for us to see that in the moment, right? We're just pounding through and banging our head against the wall and trying to persevere and get to the next thing. And I think that's incredible that you have a business sponsor, a person who's in charge of your well-being as you're here. <laughs> I think that's incredible. All right. One of the things that I know that's really important to you and many other members in our community, as well as faith. Um, for many, it's a higher power, but for others, it's faith in, in just each other, humanity, spirituality um, that feeds the hope that we need in order to survive. You had a great quote in one of your books, which I absolutely love. You said, if hope is the spark, then faith is the fire. Talk a little bit about how faith has kept you going on your journey and how faith can be applied in different ways to help us survive as entrepreneurs. You know, Aaron, there's two types of faith. There's that faith that is aligned or, or aligned with, with spiritual beliefs, but there's also faith in yourself and even faith in others. But my faith began really when I was struggling with my mental and emotional health. When I was hospitalized, I would take my Bible with me. I, you know, I, you know and even though my, my thinking wasn't always right, so to speak, I would still ask for help. I would pray. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would call my, my, my pastor, mm -hmm. right? The, the pastor that confirmed me. I'd call him at 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> not understanding it's 3 o'clock in the morning, but there's no I need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. But uh, but just knowing that that there's something, and you know, we talk about God, right? I, I I think for me, I use the term God because that's a convenient word to use. I can't really define what God is. I believe that God is infinite, and I believe that God is 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 has ability to to do things that are are far beyond our imaginations. But with that belief, I believe that we're able to do great things. And, and I know from my own life, without that belief, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today. Because with that faith, I've been able to take risks. Every job I've had, everything I've ever done, including serving on this venture as an entrepreneur, has been done on faith. Hmm. And I'll tell you something, it's scary to go out there on that limb and, and take that leap of faith. But, but honestly, I've never failed. And, and even when things seem like they were going right, there's always something that happened to, to kind of make things, you know, go in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, and also I believe that, that you know, my, my God is that I believe in works with people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the people that have been put in my life are the ones who guide me. And, and so I hear that message through them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never, I've never, I've never seen the burning bush, <laughs> right? I've never seen the clouds part and, and, and you know, uh, lightning strike and whatever then speak to me. But I do believe that God is present in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, too, I, I, I've learned to have faith in myself uh, in terms of knowing, you know, what my, what my assets are, what my liabilities are. And that's what I got in my 12-step program. And we have a fourth step where we, we describe, uh, you know, we made a search and throw more inventory of ourselves. 
And through that inventory, I, I really, you take an unflinching look at yourself, you get honest, and, and you put it on a paper, those areas where you need to work on, also the areas that you're, you're, you're good at. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea of faith is, is essential, at least in my life, and out of many other people's lives, because sometimes you're at the end of the rope, and you don't know what else to do. And as the old saying goes, it takes you to your knees, mm-hmm. and, and you just ask for help. And, and I know for many people, they, they, they get that response. Now, sometimes people don't get what they ask for. And I think like the, uh, like the old Stone song says, you don't get what you want, you get what you need, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I think that's been the case. I mean, I could sit here all day and, and ask for this and ask for that. doesn't mean I'm going to get it. But I do, I've always gotten what I needed. Mm-hmm. And, and so now during this COVID experience, I, I feel so importantly, my, my main wish, and I said it actually to my, my business sponsor, I said, when this all started, I said, I just want to get through this thing healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's all, and my, me and my family, that's all I want. Just get to it healthy. Everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. And, and so far, I had a, in fact, I had a COVID scare a couple weeks ago. I was exposed to someone. And I did a lot of praying because my wife is immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. And we got through it okay. But, you know, and I saw something, you know, it just is along the lines of just keep the faith, right? The, you know? And so I did that. And then when I think about um, other people, putting faith in other people, trusting other people, mm-hmm. right? And I know that, that sometimes it's hard to come by because, you, you know, sometimes you feel you can't trust other folks. Mm-hmm. But that's where we use our judgment. We use our discernment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to have everyone be uh, someone you, 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 you confide in mm-hmm. about things. But if you have a really close relationship with someone where you can open up, that's invaluable. And, and so you put the faith in that person, and, and many times that person will reciprocate by, by saying, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. So I have a coach. Her name is Sabrina. And I started working with Sabrina back in, in uh, July. And I'll tell you something. She has been probably the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, I just started this thing, but she's been the best thing that's happened to my business. I've learned so much from her. She's such a wealth of knowledge. And, and all along the way, she has, she's had faith in me. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I can tell. She's never said it. She never said, oh, Carl, I have faith in you. She never said it, but she, you can tell. Because you know, she gives me encouragement. She, she affirms decisions that I make. She guides me. But, also, but she believes in me. Mm-hmm. I mean, she wouldn't be investing the time that she does. I know I pay her. <laughs> but still, I mean, coaches, you don't have to take someone as a client. But she agreed to. With, with what, what, what my vision is. And she said, I can help you with that. So that idea of faith, there's multi, you know, many different definitions and ways to look at it. But uh, the, the way I see it, I, I think faith for me is something that I, I, I can't get by without it. It's, it's essential. And I, I hope to always feel this way. And I'm sure I will as life goes on, as I continue to learn, learn life's lessons. Yeah. We're starting to, you're starting to paint this incredible picture for all of us that the team you've assembled around yourself as an entrepreneur. You have a therapist, you have a coach, you have a business sponsor, you have a 25-year standing friend music group that you're close to. You have family relationships in addition to that. That's, that's incredible, right? As, as an entrepreneur, Carl's not alone. Like, this is, you've got this huge team. It's, it's, it's amazing. I think so many of us feel alone and so many of us haven't been nearly as intentional as you have in building that tribe around you and that team around yourself, not just your business, but specifically yourself. Your own journey with addiction has has given you this familiarity with the 12 steps to recover. You mentioned some of those steps so far. And um, the workshop and book you created called Leadership Through the 12 Steps 
you've applied those steps in a very relatable way to leadership. You're also very dedicated to the idea of servant leadership, which you and I have talked about, and this idea um, that we become the best version of ourselves when we're helping others. What can the 12 steps teach us about how we can approach living our lives? Like, How can the idea of servant leadership ultimately lead us to greater success? Okay, I'm going to give you another, uh, I think the term is axiom. I think that's from, uh, from, from NA, which is a 12-step program that I belong to. It says, we only keep what we have by giving it away. We only keep what we have by giving it away. So the way I look at it, if I'm going to keep my skills, my knowledge, my, my understanding of, of whatever I want to keep, I need to give it to others and I need to share it with others. I can't keep it to myself. That's a, that's a huge disservice. And, and having been a professional in the work world now for 28 years, working all kinds of, of jobs, and I've, I've moved around a lot. I'll be one of the, I was one of those people that every few years people say, so where are you working now? <laughs> right? um, but I've had the privilege of working you know, as a frontline worker. I've, I've been an administrator. I've done all kinds of things. Um, but but you know, when it comes to the idea of, of this 12 subconcept and servant leadership, I believe that the best leader is the one who is able to, to be an example to others, but also the one who can roll their sleeves up and, 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 and get into the trenches and, and say, uh, let, let's work together. One of the best relationships I had in that respect in, in jobs I've had was uh, when I worked at Buffalo State College. And I had a boss, his name was uh, Bill Hirsch. And Bill was the Associate Vice President for Enrollment Management. And he actually wasn't too much older than I was. He was maybe a few years older. But he always seemed like he was so much older because he was more, more seasoned and more of a veteran. And, and Bill, though, even though he was my boss, I never always, I never really felt that way because we would work together on things. We'd work together on projects. Mm-hmm. And I remember literally sitting down with him you know, at a table, you know, going over articulation agreements. Well, those are the things that, that you talk about you know, with schools, with agreements, how students transfer back. I was a transfer coordinator. So you talk about credits transferring. So we would sit down together and hammer out these articulation agreements with other colleges. And so that taught me a lot about also about the relationships we have with people who work for us. And, and how meaningful it is to have these relationships so you can, you know, it's a matter of morale. It's a matter of, of understanding your employees so they feel like they're supported. Mm-hmm. And, and I know for, for the idea of servant leadership, uh, it's crucial. I think if you are autocratic in your leadership style, that do what I say, not as I do, it falls apart. People are going to start not just questioning you, but, but rebelling. They're going to leave. They're going to talk behind your back. Uh, all kinds of things. I mean, they, uh, we see this all around us. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, but the idea of uh, being a, a good leader is really where uh, you, know, you find a sense of, of cooperation. Mm-hmm. Right? And so in, in the book I wrote, I talk about the idea even of equating. So in the book, just so folks know, uh, really, all I do is I equate the principles found in 12 step programs with those found in leadership. So, for instance, in step one, I talk about honesty. Step two is open mindedness. Step three is willingness and so forth. Step 12 talks about selflessness and unconditional love. And, and so you might say, well, what does unconditional love have to do with leadership? Well, it has a lot to do with leadership. Mm-hmm. If you're able to show unconditional love to someone who's on your staff, that means you're willing to look beyond maybe some of the faults they have, because we all have faults, mm-hmm. and recognize where their strengths are. 
recognize that they're human and 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 for lack of a better term, give them a little slack mm-hmm. for, for those times that things may not go the right way. But also hold them accountable. I mean, it's not giving a free pass. But unconditional love means that that you're not placing expectations and terms on people that are unreasonable. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things to look at there in that respect. Yeah, the that bravery we talked about earlier, that incredible bravery you had to share some of these challenges with the world that becomes um the teaching component of this is, is my understanding eventually over time right where you're you're helping and mentoring other people mm-hmm. what what has that help us understand that for those of us that have not been brave enough to you know bear some of these challenges with the world yet tell us about what you got in return eventually what what came back to you from being open about your struggles with mental health with addiction and then the process of recovery sharing that with the world it may not have felt great in the moment, right? Um, maybe it did, but tell us about that. What, what did you get in return eventually? What's the reward for doing that? Let me first of all say that I didn't know what I was doing. Honestly, when I, when I wrote that article for the paper, my wife said, my, first thing my wife said was, don't put our daughter's names in it. Mm. Don't mention our family. Don't mention anything. Because she was afraid. I didn't know about stigma. Now, mind you, uh, I'm the chair of the Erie County Anti-Stigma Coalition. It's, it's a, for our account. I mean, it's a, it's a regional, regional effort to eliminate stigma. Mm. Uh, and I'm the chair of this coalition. But back then, I really didn't even know because I wasn't experiencing it. No one knew uh, about what stigma was. But, you know, when I think about how um, people are looking at, at the idea of mental health and, and, and coming out, so to speak, that's a term that, that many people use. Certainly, you have to be careful. Uh, I think there are a lot of places where, where you have to keep it maybe closer to the best, as the saying goes. Because you don't know what ramifications there might be. I, mean, I had something to fall back on. Fortunately, I had a career before higher education that I could fall back on that allowed me to go back into it mm-hmm. and thereby work in an atmosphere where I didn't have to keep it to myself. And then that's where my career went to from there. Not everybody has that. But in respect of maybe even opening up to friends or other family members, for me, it was a sense of freedom and liberty where I didn't have to walk around hiding. Because you know, when you hide things, that creates shame. Mm-hmm. And when there's shame, you begin to experience guilt. And, and it ends up being like a self-fulfilling prophecy, a, a mm-hmm. self-defeating cycle. And so when I opened up about it and it became more part of my life, it just became what it was. And, and I, I'll tell you something that was kind of interesting. I had an experience that was remarkable when I was, my daughter was 13. And uh, my older daughter. And I was in my basement running on my treadmill. And she opened the door and she goes, she goes, Dad, she goes, are you bipolar? Because we hadn't had that talk yet, right? I said, yeah. She goes, oh, I didn't know that. Because I had a, a there's a magazine I've done some writing for. I'm a, I've been a blogger for called BP Magazine. And it had arrived at, you know, it was on the table. Uh, and, and it was had my name as, as a dressy. So obviously she put two and two together. <laughs> But, but even with our own families, to have that conversation and not to be ashamed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you something, with my daughters, because at first they knew about me being in a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. They knew about that. They, I kind of, but you have those conversations organically. Like I never had to sit down and say, well, Sarah, Lily, this is what I have. No, it just it was a very natural thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so it became a part of the fabric of our lifestyle and our home. And then it just kind of went from there to my friends and then to the community and the work that I do. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's going to do it the same way because I have a different type of position. I do different things. 
But sometimes it's just a matter of just being open with those around you that gives you that sense of empowerment mm-hmm. that, hey, I, I listen, this is who I am and, and take or leave it. I have my good days, I have my bad days, but you know what? This is, this is it. And, 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 and if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but this is what I got. So, mm-hmm. and you, you, you find out who your real friends are. Really, you find out who your real friends are. And unfortunately, there's some will fall by the wayside. But those that stick with you are the best friends in the world. And I've got, I've got some amazing friends. I'm going to say, like you heard, I've got the, I've got, they talk about social capital. I'm the, I'm a rich man. <laughs> I'm a rich man. That's incredible. I, so I, you know, this whole founder's first journey for me has been interesting as an entrepreneur who's suffered from anxiety and, and panic attacks, like getting up in front of a crowd and giving a speech is like the scariest thing on earth to me. And everything else in a business actually seems quite easy. In 2018, I was, asked to come speak to um, an audience of 70 global CEOs, all entrepreneurs and founders and at MIT. And um, I did about a maybe 45, 50 minute presentation where I told some very, really awkwardly personal stories, but it, it was a journey to get there and to be able to stand up in front of a room and, and to be able to share those stories, kind of two things compounding in the challenge for me, both the thing that scares me the most and talking about the thing that I don't want to talk about. Um, but if I think back before that to, probably somewhere around 2015, I'm starting to kind of understand better in myself that this is what this stuff is called. These challenges that I've had, you know, when I'm sitting at my desk and I get frustrated and then my heart rate goes to 180 is, is called panic and it's called anxiety and there's processes to manage it. Um, one of the first things I was advised to do is was start sharing exactly what we're talking about, sharing with others. And I think it probably took six months till I was brave enough to do it. And I was sitting at a bar in Chapel Hill, North Carolina with a friend of mine having a beer and um, and I decided to, and he wasn't even that close of a friend or an acquaintance. And I just, for some reason, was like, tonight's the night, I'm going to share it. And so, like, literally with my hand, like, trembling, I share that I'm, like, struggling with this anxiety disorder. And I'm trying to figure out as an entrepreneur. And, you know, at the same time, this person sees me as a very successful entrepreneur. And so I'm trying to navigate, you know, this facade I have of being this, you know, tough, maybe bulletproof, I don't know, entrepreneur that's successful with also how I feel on the inside. And he just kind of looks at me. And is a little bit dumbfounded and then changes the subject and never brings it up again. And I remember, I remember being kind of devastated in that moment of like, oh God, that did not go the way I wanted it to go. But it was step one. And then step two is I was able to share it with other people. And one thing I realized in that moment was that I that I put that other person in a really difficult, uncomfortable situation. Because most people don't know what to do when someone confides something that raw with them sitting at a bar in public without any heads up on it. And um so I took a couple takeaways from that, but one was to was to just keep going. Like even that first attempt that I thought, you know, rainbows were going to come out and the clouds were going to part and I was going to be suddenly healed. It was like awkward and, and uh, did not go the way I wanted it to go. And then I tried again and I tried again. And then, you know, three years later, I'm on a stage talking about these problems. So I yeah. somehow, somehow got what happens. So to our guests, um, if you've got a question you'd like to ask Carl, now's a good time to drop it into the chat section here in Zoom. We'll make sure we get to it. I'm going to ask one more question, and then we'll go to your questions. I'll read them out when we get there. So feel free to please drop them in. So Carl, you've had this amazing life experience. You've overcome immense challenges. New chapters are just beginning now for you, being a new entrepreneur starting a business this year in April of 2020. Like, what a year we're going to look back on in 10 years and go, oh my gosh. Um, you've learned so much from your own journey that we can all really draw from to inform our experience as entrepreneurs and justice people. So my last question is, 
What three pieces of advice would you provide to those who are facing struggles and challenges right now that might help them move towards success on their own path? I, I think, well, the first thing I would say is something that someone told me, and actually it kind of ties in with what I, sorry, I mentioned with the, the VP for enrollment management mm-hmm. about passion. Follow your passion. I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't even understand that when I heard that years ago, but it really does, it does ring true. Mm-hmm. Once you find your passion, you get into the flow. And I heard, well, what's that? Once you find your passion and, and you zero in on it, and, and it's almost like you have to have blinders on, right? You have to be like that horse with the blinders mm-hmm. and stay true to your passion. Then, then typically things work out. Now, it might mean making adjustments. It might mean, you know, uh, stumbling along the way. But I really, really believe that if you're passionate and you put the work in, and and you're resourceful, creative, then then you can you can be successful. Um, and another thing I would say, the second thing I would say is that we all have good days, we have bad days. And I know for myself, being a new entrepreneur, I mean, uh, just in terms of getting getting established with contracts and 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 business and getting business coming in, some days it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, when's it going to happen? I, I need I need another contract. Right. Uh, but but then again, I know that it's not going to happen every day. There are days that are just kind of just days. So take one day at a time. That's mm-hmm. another thing I learned from my program. We talk about an A just for today. You know, A, it's one day at a time. Same concept. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get caught up in yesterday. Don't don't worry about tomorrow. Get up with that anxiety. Focus on today, what you can do today, and what's within your control. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are outside of our control in our lives. What we do have control over is is how we react to things and how we respond to things, and and what we do regards that. Mm-hmm. And then, and I think the last thing I would say is that is that and I kind of mentioned before too is that don't estimate, don't underestimate your value or where your potential lies. Mm-hmm. I think so often we 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 don't even think about what we're capable of. So, Aaron, you heard a little bit of my story. So, in 1981, of course. No, I like to say 1988, my very first NA meeting. Mind you, it was 32 years ago. And we have a saying also, I've given the third lot of things actually, but we have a saying that says, beyond our wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. So in January 17th, 1988, beyond is my wildest dreams to ever think I, I'd be here today, married, two successful adult children. And that's actually, that's my real legacy. That's the thing I'm most proud of, by the way. Mm-hmm. All this other stuff. It, it's 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 I send the kick my kids with the thing I'm most proud of, um, but also just the fact that I've got a life, I've got a home, I've got all these things that the one time in my life were were seemingly impossible for that guy who was catatonic mm-hmm. in a dormitory room who went through electroconvulsive therapy and who 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 you know was you know in a major psychiatric center. I mean, so so you don't know what you can do until mm-hmm. until so, so you just. Try and and then, like I said, believe in yourself. I talked about that before too. So those, that's what I would say. Incredibly, incredibly inspiring. Carl, thanks so much for being here and sharing your amazing story with us. We're going to take some uh, questions from our members um, that they'd like to ask. So let's see. First questions from uh, Stephanie. What's the number one thing you recommend for entrepreneurs to support team members who are experiencing mental health challenges? That's a great question. I've experienced that myself among my own executive team. Well, first of all, educate yourself. Educate yourself. So as I mentioned, I teach mental health first aid. 
And real briefly, Mental Health First Aid is a program that teaches how to identify the signs and symptoms of mental illness. It teaches how to respond to someone in a mental health crisis mm-hmm. and how to refer them to get help. And, and it has a five-step action plan. I teach I taught it yesterday. It's, it's taught virtually now. So try to find, in fact, they, they do them all over the country, but try to find a mental health first aid course that mm-hmm. you can take that will give you the tools to help that staff person, help mm-hmm. that employee that might need to know where to go and also how to talk to that person. There's, there's good information there too. So and I've done now, I've probably done, oh my gosh, close to 140 of these trainings since mm-hmm. 2014. Uh, I've trained probably, uh, I guess, about 1,800 people at least uh, in this program. Mm-hmm. And I get, I've had such amazing feedback. So I'd say take mental first aid or just educate yourself about mental health. And that's a good first step. Yeah. I wish I'd done that years ago. I, we had an incident where I experienced someone around me on my professional team having a manic episode. And it was my first experience with seeing bipolar disorder. Um, and and it was absolutely wild as an entrepreneur trying to understand what was what was happening. Like I couldn't, it took me hours to days and my co-founder for us to understand that there was a mental health issue here. We just right. thought there were just kind of like weird facts and things that right. didn't make sense. And, and we were so confused. And I remember pulling in our, our HR leader at the time and trying to put together a team to figure out how to do it. And I just so wished I had those skills in the, in the moment to yeah. start to understand. And honestly, to even have more compassion in the moment because I just didn't know what was going on. It made me fearful not understanding it. Um, next next question is from Justin. So Justin's got a technical question. Um, what do you do when you wake up at 2 or 3 a.m. worried about your business? What do you do to get a good night's sleep? And this is so common among our entrepreneurial community here. We wake up mind racing or we can't go to sleep, but then we wake up and mind is racing and, and we suffer in result of it. Uh, well, I'll say this. I've been there. Uh, you know, it's so funny. And for me, it's like one of those once in a blue moon kind of things. And fortunately, I, I don't know what it is now, but even through COVID, I've been sleeping pretty well. I've had some periods of anxiety like everybody else and that trouble falling asleep. And, mm-hmm. but one trick I have, and a lot of it has to do with, with, um, uh, focusing and breathing and, and doing almost like a mini meditation. Mm-hmm. So one trick I have, and sometimes I do this to fall asleep too. Is to is to breathe in slowly through your nose to a count of eight, mm-hmm. and then hold it for five, and then breathe out for a count of eight, and then do that about five times. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're doing that. Repeat a mantra in your mind, and a mantra or a mantra is a phrase that you repeat to keep yourself focused on that thought, mm-hmm. as opposed to all the things that are trying to, you know, you're trying to keep track. If you practice that enough, it may not work the first time, but you keep trying it. Mm-hmm. Keep trying it. Eventually, you do it enough, it, it, you'll fall asleep. Believe it or not, it works. Mm-hmm. I do this sometimes to fall asleep, and it's like I wake up like, it worked. Every time it happens, I'm like, wow, that worked last night, because I don't think I'm able to fall asleep. It works. Mm-hmm. Another thing I've gotten to have it doing, now I'm the kind of person, I'm kind of weird, but I fall asleep sometimes with headphones on. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge music lover, but I'll put music on, and my wife will keep the TV on, but I'll put music on my headphones. And I've trained myself, and I've done this for years, to fall asleep with music, and then I just take the headphones off and, you know, put them aside. But, but as far as wake up in the middle of the night, it can be very distressing, especially if it happens several nights in a row. But that idea of the breathing is important, and then the progressive relaxation, which you can also do where you tense your muscles and then you release as you breathe. That's a way of, you know, relaxing the body. But essentially, you're training yourself to fall asleep. That's really what you're doing with this process, training yourself to fall asleep. 
Yeah, I've, I've used progressive relaxation really successfully over the years. That's one just like you you were describing where I'm like, this isn't working, this isn't working. Then I wake up and five hours later and go, oh my God, it worked this time. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, someone shared in one of our peakability sessions recently um, this exercise where it's kind of like counting sheep, but it was a little newer and more advanced, I guess, where you imagine like a firework going up in the air and then when it explodes, there's a three-digit number. And whatever three-digit number, you just come up with three digits, you know, one, four, five, and then it falls to the ground. And then you imagine another firework going up, exploding, and there's another three-digit number. And I found that one interesting, maybe just because it was new and used it recently. Because there's just, you know, the three-digit number thing keeps you having to think just a little bit and maybe not get distracted into all those worries and other things that, that were you know, causing you trouble in the moment. But let me just say, though, once you find some of the work sets that you do, mm-hmm. and typically, if you find that what works... It, you know, it, it works and then you just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question here. Let's see. Carl, do you find that staying busy with work and interests, family, et cetera, is critical versus not being active? So not being active, meaning letting the mind drift without focus. I'm not good with inertia and activity. I'll be the first to mention it. I get squirrely. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's hard for me just to not do anything. So. That's why I try to remain active mm-hmm. in some form or matter. Mind you, I do, I've learned to take time for myself. That's a little bit different. But just to say I'm going to take a day and just do nothing, it's really hard. Um, and, but that's where the balance comes in. And, and so the way I look at it, as long as you know, you're not infringing on other responsibilities or taking time away from other responsibilities like family or, or things you need to do, um, you no, know, find find your find your own sweet spot, mm-hmm. uh, but also make sure you take those opportunities to relax and do those things to keep yourself rejuvenated. And and so for me, um, I, I work. You know, I try to take one day at least to not work, mm-hmm. where I do other things. And and I've kind of gotten the habit of that. I I do the shopping for us, you know, for my family. My wife watches it. My wife and I. Uh, and actually, I like going shopping. I put my earbuds in walk around the store like no one else is. <laughs> and I find it to be actually meditative, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, so find that day to kind of just, just relax and just separate and, and create those boundaries. Uh, and then, but then if you need to work those other days, you know, do what you can do. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question is from Shelby. Shelby said you spoke a bit, about, a bit about how your tribe and your wife keep you accountable. How? specifically and how do you keep yourself accountable what are the so those are the relationships what are the processes or routines within that where you stay accountable well you know it's funny my wife keeps you accountable by by essentially being almost like my my eyes and ears mm-hmm. it's always it's so easy to act and and not and be subjective but she kind of looks at me and is able to call me out if i'm like just this morning I, I, I got up and, and I must have presented a certain way. She said, everything okay? That's how well she knows me. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Because sometimes I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so to have someone like that who, can, who is really in tune with you, uh, make it, mind you, being married for 26 years doesn't hurt. Knowing each other for 28 years plus doesn't hurt. But then again, um, with my friends, it's a matter of, like I said, with a sponsor or, or with other friends. The people who know you enough to uh, call you on your stuff, as I say, I mean, to use a lack of a better term or use, use a different term, uh, who don't allow you just to kind of go off on a, uh, on, a, on a rant or a run and just 
run roughshod over people or do things that might be you know, counterproductive. I, okay, I think we all need that kind of accountability. And as far as self-accountability, that's where I think where the, this inner, um, inner compass, inner guide comes in, that focus, that it's like you have to have the goal. And, and I know for me, I have goals that I want to achieve. And in order to achieve that goal, I have to do certain things. And if they don't get done, then I'll get the goal. It's kind of like that kid that wants dessert. You know, I don't know if you know Pink Floyd the Wall. Uh, of course, I'm dating myself here, but that one line is, you know, you can't get your pudding if you don't eat your meat, <laughs> right? But that's still so you can't get the reward if you don't put the work in. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so when I look at it, if I want um, the client or if I want the contract, I have to put the work in for it. But I also have to show up. I have to do the job, and I have to, you know, perform so that I get that next contract from that same person or company. Yeah, reputation. This power you brought up again here, and I think it's an incredible theme for our discussion today. This power of having people that can sort of call you out in a polite way that doesn't derail us or distract us, but puts us back in in the right direction. It brings to mind the horrifically tragic. Um, Sounds like last couple of weeks, the last year of Tony Shea's life for folks that you know, haven't read some of the kind of, um, I don't know, not expose is probably the wrong word, but just some you know, people being interviewed about what his life was like the last six months. He relocated from Las Vegas um, to Park City, paid people to come live with him, like paid friends, uh, doubled their highest salaries to come spend time with him. Um, and the details of the story just continue to get more and more wild. But the singer, Jewel, who was a friend of his, sends him a note that's now been published in a lot of these articles. If, if you've read one, you've probably seen it saying, um, Tony, everyone's lying to you. Like everyone around you is not calling you out on your bad behavior. You have a bunch of friends and people around you that are enabling this bad behavior. He had, it sounded, it sounds like, um, I didn't know him, but this comes out through a lot of second and third hand reporting now that he was surrounded by people that weren't calling him out and unfortunately was perpetuating a lot of that behavior and that just again a tragic reminder of what happens when we don't have people around us that, that we respect who can call us out to make behavior change in the moment we need it. Carl, thank you once again for your time and for your amazing work. We are so grateful for your insights today. I appreciate it, Aaron. Thank you so much and thank you everybody for being on. I, I hope you uh, have a wonderful holiday season. Stay safe, wear your mask. And we want to get through this thing together. So thanks. Absolutely. This wraps us up for the year. Yeah, we're going to have all a great 2021 as entrepreneurs, I'm sure. So thanks so much, everyone. See you next time. See you in January. Bye. Thank you for joining us at Founders First. This conversation continues in the Founders First community. Search Founders First Community in the App Store on your phone to learn how to prioritize your health and wellness to become more successful, get your questions answered by top entrepreneurs, and receive notifications about upcoming shows. Until next time, stay healthy, be at your best, go change the world. (music) 